great pleasure knowing that you choose to listen to this episode on the John Gardena Classroom. My mission is to serve the Lord by creating content that will help you in your journey of life. If you want one-on-one coaching or would like to be part of my 40 Days of Deliverance program, please visit my website at johngardena.com. Also, if you would like to give a financial gift to help the show grow or provide the funds for the editing process and publishing of the show, it would truly be appreciated. Lastly, God has given me a vision to have a place in the woods with cabins to enjoy fellowship, healing, along with outdoor activities with others. If you have land and feel compelled by the Lord to donate some to make this vision a reality, please email me. I will have all the information available in the show notes. Thank you and enjoy this episode. All right, everybody, we are back to another book review. And this book was fantastic. As some of you may know, I really enjoy learning from Navy SEALs, and in this case, it was one of the highest-ranking officers in the Navy and commander of U.S. operations. Admiral McRaven was the commander of U.S. Special Operations Command, during which time he led around 70,000 men and women and was responsible for conducting counterterrorism operations worldwide. McRaven also is a recognized national authority on U.S. foreign policy and has advised Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama and other U.S. leaders on defense issues. He served as the primary author of the President's first national strategy for combating terrorism, He drafted and was the primary author of the National Security Presidential Directive 12, which is the U.S. hostage policy, drafted the counterterrorism policy for George W. Bush National Security Strategy as well. Admiral McRaven's military legacy goes beyond strategy and warfare. As commander of the U.S. Special Operations Command, McRaven spearheaded the creation of the preservation of the Force and Family Initiative to ensure the mental, spiritual, and physical well-being of those who serve, as well as their families. His wife, George Ann, has dedicated much of their career to playing a leadership role with the military families and the wounded warriors. In Sea Stories, which begins in the early 1960s in France, where Allied forces and officers were gathered with their wives to have some drinks and tell stories about their adventures during World War II. This is where Admiral McRaven learned from the greatest generation that may have ever lived. Sea Stories is an in-depth look back on one man's incredible life, where he went to Bud's to become a Navy SEAL, to work in the Middle East, to being injured in a parachuting accident, and becoming a very important piece in the anti-terrorism agenda after 9-11. Admiral McRaven has played a major part in military history and having been involved in some of the most famous missions in recent memory, which include the capture of Saddam Hussein, the rescue of Captain Richard Phillips, and the raid to kill Osama bin Laden. Instead of highlighting specific adventures and operations that Admiral McRaven was a part of, 
I'm going to read the last chapter of the book, titled The Final Salute. This chapter summarizes so much goodness and honor, not only as a high-ranking officer in the U.S. military, but a man who was driven by values that were instilled by him as a child. So I really hope you enjoyed this. Tampa, Florida, August 2014. The color guard marched straight up the aisle, turned, and presented the American flag. Beside me on the stage at the Tampa Convention Center was the chairman of Joint Chief Staff and my friend, General Martyr, Marty Dempsey. Standing at attention, we held our salutes until the singing of the national anthem was over and the posting of the colors was completed. At that moment, it struck me. This would be my last salute in uniform, my last opportunity to officially pay my respects to the flag for which I had served for the past 37 years, my last day on active duty, my very last day as a Navy SEAL. In the audience were over 700 people, all of whom had come to be part of the military retirement ceremony. As I scanned the faces, the stories of my life were turned in a flash. My best man, John Scarpula, was sitting with my fellow high school runners, Mike Morris and Mike Depot. Besides them was Coach Jerry Turnbow. A row back from them were my Navy SEALs training class, Daniel Stewart and Marcus Thomas. Spread across the aisles were decades of teammates from the SEALs, Rangers, Green Berets, Night Stalkers, Special Tactics, CIA, DIA, FBI, State Department, NSA, NGA, and an assortment of senior officers from the Army, Navy, Air Force, and the Marine Corps. Men and women who have been with me throughout my career, Admiral Eric Olson, now retired, was sitting with me on the right side of the aisle, waiting to officiate my transfer of the Bullfrog Award as a longest-serving SEAL on active duty. Our dearest friends, Admiral Joe and Kathy McGuire, were close to the front, sitting near my sisters, Nan and Mariana. As I stepped before the podium to make my farewell remarks, I glanced down at Georgianne in the front row and could see that she was holding back the tears. Besides her, my daughter Kelly and son John, who had borne the brunt of my life in the military, were trying unsuccessfully to remain stoic. Halfway around the world was my son, Bill, who was on deployment as an Air Force officer, joined us by video. I missed him dearly, but as I always say, I was proud of his service. His wife, Brandy, sat with my family. Grabbing the side of the podium, I looked down at my speech and took a long, deep breath, and I began. My senior year in college, I was the ranking midshipman in the Naval ROTC program. One day, the NROTC executive officer, a crusty old Navy commander named Rumlart, called me into his office. I stood attention as he addressed me. Bill, he said, your mother called and she is worried that you are dating two women. She and I both think this is a bad idea. I was stunned. My mother called, I said, completely embarrassed. Yes, Rumlart said, your mother called. My mother called, I said again, hoping I had misheard the commander. Yes, he said, repeating it again. Your mother called. I dropped my head. What in the world she's thinking? Mothers. 
But it was true. I was, in fact, dating two women, something I knew was dangerous. The first woman I met on a midshipman cruise the year before. It was a long-distance relationship. She was on the West Coast and I in Austin, but we had become quite serious. Then the spring of 1977, I met Georgiana at school, and everything changed. As I looked down from the stage, Georgiana appeared mortified that I was telling the story. But to me, the story conveyed the single most important moment in my life, a decision that would change everything about my future. I realized then, and I told the audience, that the first woman was everything a man of 21 could want, but the second woman was everything a man could want for the rest of his life. Later that year, when I told my father that I asked George Ann to marry me, he gave me that look only a father can and said, Son, I didn't think you were that smart. <laughs> well, in the smartest decision I ever made, for over 40 years, Georgian has been by my side. She picked me up when I was stumbled. She gave me confidence when I was faltering. She nursed me when I was injured. She shouldered the burden of my constant deployments. And for the times that death was on the doorstep, she hid her fear and she gave me hope. Nothing in my life would have been possible without her. I paused, knowing I couldn't look at Georgianne or I would lose it. Take a deep breath. I continued with my remarks, but my mind began to wander. Forty years, I thought. It had been 40 years since I reported duty at the Naval ROTC unit at the University of Texas. I remember the first day as clear as I remember the last. It was the beginning of a grand adventure. In the next four decades, I would travel the globe, sail the seven seas, jump from airplanes, lock out of submarines, be shot at, IED'd, mortared, and rocketed. I would crash in a helicopter, a boat, and a parachute, and live to talk about it. I would meet with presidents and kings, prime ministers and princesses, despots and terrorists. I would experience the highs of international success and the lows of a profound loss. I would confront the worst of humanity and the best of mankind. I could experience the hand of God in little moments, and big ones alike. I would constantly be inspired by soldiers, awed by their courage, their humility, and their sense of duty. I would raise a wonderful family with the woman I loved and be blessed to serve the greatest country in the world. It was tough. I was the main character in some cosmic adventure. And like all adventures, my odyssey had taught me a lot about myself and the world around me. In my journey, I found out there was always something better than me, someone smarter, stronger, faster, hardworking, more talented, more driven, more honest, and more pious, just better than I was. It was humbling, but at the same time, immensely reassuring. There were so many problems in the world that I could not solve, but maybe someone else could. I learned that life is fragile and that we should all take each day as a blessing. A single round from an Al-Qaeda sniper, an IED on a road less traveled, a C-130 that never returned, a head-on collision coming home from work, a parachute that never opened, an x-ray that revealed a growing tumor. Nothing in life is guaranteed. So make the most of what you have and be thankful. Many times over I found that my success on the others was the simplest of lessons. One, I had been taught the basic Navy SEAL training rowing by my little rubber boat, and every success I had from that moment on had been because someone else helped me. 
I realized that life is actually pretty simple. Help as many people as you can. Make as many friends as you can. Work as hard as you can. And no matter what happens, never quit. Along the way, there were moments and people I couldn't forget. I remember leading the funeral procession for Sergeant Doc Penny as soldiers from the 1st Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment, marched from the church in downtown Savannah to Penny's favorite pub on the River Street. The entire town lined the roads and the streets and the highway, saluting, standing at attention, hats off, heads bowed, and tears flowing. I remembered Ranger Ben Kopp, killed in Afghanistan, whose transplanted heart now beats in the breast of Judy Michael. I remember watching the doctors in the combat hospital in Bagram as they tried to save SEAL Jason Fryward and Manny Markham, struck in the chest by multiple large caliper rounds. Both men died on the operating table, and I was helpless to do anything about it. I remember the fatal crashes of helicopters, Turbine 33 and Extortion 17, call signs that will never be used again, and men who will forever be memorialized. I cannot forget the sacrifice of a Mike Murphy, Robbie Miller, Ashley White, or the thousands of others. All who gave some, but some who gave all. And I'll never forget Section 60 at Arlington National Cemetery, the final resting place of so very many young heroes who fought in the wars after September 11th. At times, the pain and sorrow of the memories overwhelm me, and they often manifest themselves in awkward displays of emotion in large public settings. I grew to be okay with that. Most of all, I learned from all his faults. Man is worthy of this world. For every reckless, belligerent who seeks war, there are thoughtful, wise men and women who strive for peace. For all the unbridled hatred and abounds, there is an even greater amount of unconditional love. For every Al-Qaeda torture house in Iraq, every Taliban death squad in Afghanistan, every suicide bomber in Somalia, every righteous zealot who kills indiscriminately, there are countless mothers who care for their children and fathers who raise their young sons and daughters to be honest and hardworking. Man's compassion far outseeds its greed. His caring is greater than this brutality. His courage outshines his cowardice, and his sense of hope always prevails. The audience came back into focus then. I was almost finished and ready to be piped over the side, officially retired. Just one last story. There is a great scene in World War II movie, Saving Private Ryan. Ryan, now an old man, returns to the beaches of Normandy, searching for the grave of the officer who saved his life 40 years earlier a man who sacrificed everything so that Ryan could be alive. Finding the headstone, Ryan emotionally drained, looks up with weary eyes and asks his wife, Tell me, I've led a good life. Tell me that I'm a good man. I found good men and women wherever I went on my life journey through life. I strived to be as good as they were, as good as I could be. So in the end, those that knew me will be proud to call me their friend. All I ever wanted was to be a good man. I stepped away from the podium. An order was given, and eight soldiers lined up, short red carpet, ready to render a final salute as I walked off the stage. I thanked General Dempsey, met George Ann at the front of the stage, and walked through the honor guard at the, world's, at the words, Admiral, retired, departing were announced. 
my career was over. Helen Keller, the wondrous woman who showed us that blindness has a vision all its own, once said, life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Well, it sure has been something. I can't wait to see what tomorrow's story brings. The end. Terrific book by Admiral William H. McRaven. Sea Stories, His Life in Special Operations. I highly recommend this book. He also um, is the best-selling author of Make Your Bed. And if you look him up on YouTube or Google or another website, uh, you'll find that famous speech about making your bed and how important it is to do the little things each morning to get your direction going for yourself and to stay on a straight and narrow path of becoming a good man or woman. As I reflect after this book, um, the greatest takeaway that I had learned was that I'm thankful and I'm grateful that we have men and women who are protecting us overseas and at home, and they're doing the best that they can under stressful situations so that we can have our freedom protected. So as you finish this podcast today, I ask you to take just a moment right now to be thankful for those who serve in our military, but also those who gave the greatest sacrifice, who gave their life. The sacrifice of giving your own life is love. And through love and by love, we as individuals can become better. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please share it, like it, and continue to be the best person you can and exhaust your gifts that God has given you. This class is dismissed.